The David Cassidy Connections with Louise Poynton. Cherish the legacy. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the David Cassidy Connections, your podcast all about David, his music, the friendships people have because of him, and the cherished memories from friends, fans, musicians, actors, producers, broadcasters and many more. I am your host, Louise Poynton. And today, I'm thrilled to welcome, as my guest, broadcaster Joe Pavia. Joe has spent his career in broadcasting as a news anchor, news editor and presenter on radio in Canada. He interviewed David in 1990, after 20 years of being a fan of the Partridge family music. Joe shares how much that conversation meant to him, and what it felt like to meet David a few weeks later at the record release party for the self-titled CD. We talk about Joe's career as a news reporter, which has yielded a number of awards, and why he is still discovering more about David's music. He also examines the role the Partridge family has in the history of American culture. At the end of our conversation, you will hear Joe's exclusive one-to-one broadcast interview with David. We started by talking about the importance of music in his life. How nice to see you. How nice to see you, Louise. (laughs) Has music always been an important part of your life? Huge, huge. There is always a song um, twirling around in my head. Um, sometimes, you know, we're we're in the middle of a conversation or I'm in the middle of a conversation with someone and they'll say something and I'll break out into tune, a tune based on a line that, uh, that they said because it reminds me uh, of a song. Yeah big time and it was you know like i said the radio was always on either between uh the top 40 station um or my uh mother used to listen to mostly my mother uh an italian music radio station out of toronto and my sisters bought a combination of uh, 45s from um, english-speaking artists to italian artists so it yeah runs the runs the gamut now of you know sometimes a song comes on and I'll remember where I was I still remember actually I'll tell you a story uh, about uh, Elton John okay. so Elton okay. John in 1970 whatever came out with the song the bitch is back and I remember the first time I heard it I was in in the car with my sister and my parents' black Ford Galaxy 500 on Elizabeth Street in Guelph by the 100 steps. And the announcer comes on and says, this is Elton John's new song, The Bitch is Back. And I turned to my sister and said, is he allowed to say that on the radio? (laughs) That's, yeah, clear as day, clear as day. Then there was the, uh, there was in, in the movie Parasite, um, there is a scene, a flashback scene, where the uh, housekeeper, I guess, of the of the wealthy family, um, well, actually, she's more of a concierge. I can't remember what her title was, but she's having a flashback with the relationship with her husband, and they put this Italian song on. I believe it was Gianni Morandi, and I'm sitting in the theater thinking. Oh my God, flashback to the 70s. I remember exactly when that, you know, hearing that song on the radio thing, holy smokes. And, you know, you kind of get those little goosebumps, but now it's mostly, it's mostly, yeah, I wake up and there's a, there's a song, you know, like, honestly, it's sometimes somebody says something or there's a a name of a person that we're going to, we're going to be interviewing or it's going to be on the show. And it's a song will just pop in my head and I'll start singing. And then I think, 
where did that come from? And then I have to go back. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's because of that. <laughs> so can you remember when you first heard David Cassidy's voice? Oh, yeah, uh, Partridge Family. It was, we used to sing the Come On, Get Happy song when uh, in the introduction, you know, with the egg breaking and the partridges coming out. Um, and that was a show that we watched uh, faithfully. I didn't realize now that, um, of course, looking back at the date, that it started in 1970. It was only on for four years. It seemed to be on forever. And even in discussion recently with my sisters, they said, I remember it being on at night and then it was on after school. So I guess it was on in, in syndication. So yeah, but that was the that was the first. I uh, first time I heard, I thought, oh, this is cool. Here's a family that plays guitar and sings, and they travel around on a school bus. This is awesome. So by the time the show ended, I was ten. So I was like between six or seven and ten. So this would have been post Beatles breakup, and uh, getting into um, uh, and well, pop radio, uh, top forty radio. Um, I, I look back at the show. I think for me, there was the voice in the songs first, but actually probably not even first. Primarily, it was the hair, the clothes, and the choker. Remember this? <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is, uh, and, and this was from a kid too, who I think I received a gold chain in my first communion. So, you know, there were, the, this, is, this is what Italian gifts that you were, Italians gave you as a gift in your, your communion. You got the gold chain. And um, I didn't wear it until much later, but, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends really didn't who were, who were non-Italians. And I, I just, I remember those, those shirts because now those shirts have kind of that style with the, the loud, uh, loudness of the material has come back in style and has been back in style in the last few years. And that was like primarily the influence was the, yeah, the hair, the choker, the shirt, and uh, the fact that, well, you know, he was pretty cool and he could sing. And, you know, and then he had his family who were, his mother was, uh, was also a rock star and his brothers and sisters. But uh, I always, what I always found interesting about David Cassidy's voice was, and this is as, um, uh, as a kid listening to top 40 radio, sometimes I would hear a song on the radio, I hear a singer, and I used to think it was David Cassidy, but it wasn't. It was there, I don't know if it was a style that they were copying or it was a style that the person, that's how they sang as well. Um, or, you know, if it was an influence, but, um, but yeah, I always, I, like, I, I remember uh, there was a number of bands because I remember actually when Cherish, his song Cherish used to be played at the um, exhibition park skating rink in the arena because there was always, you know, kids would go skating on Sunday afternoons. That's when they had an open skate and they'd play uh, play music. And I remember that song playing. And then there's a bunch of artists that came on after that and they all had a similar, you know, kind of sound. So I, I was wondering, you know, okay, am I listening to David Cassidy or is this like another uh another band and you know i mean i was 10 and there was no internet at the time so you couldn't really find out <laughs> but l looking back now do, do you think that his vocals and his presence had a major influence on the solo artists that followed in his footsteps yeah see that's uh, that's hard for me to answer because i like from the musical point of view 
where David Cassidy was concerned, it was, I, I knew the Partridge family. Like, oh, speaking of songs that just pop in my head, every once in a while, I will sing, I woke up in love this morning. I, why, I don't know, maybe because I am. But uh, <laughs> it, so it was, um, yeah, it's difficult for me to answer. I'm not an expert where really in the, in the musical sense, because I think I've learned a lot about his music since the initial podcast that I did and, and part, David Cassidy part one and part two because for me Cassidy was more it, it was more in the genre of the Partridge family and that that's really where it kind of uh in my early years where it stuck with me now because of podcasts like yours because of your book because of the fans that have come forward I'm learning about this whole other side of David Cassidy that I didn't know. And I'm listening to these songs and thinking, oh, wow, what a beautiful voice. And I always thought he had a great voice. So that when, and this is my initial reaction, when I found out he was doing Blood Brothers with Sean Cassidy and Petula Clark, I thought, of course, that is perfect. And then I actually, I, I missed out a friend of mine saw Blood Brothers with the, the Cassidy brothers. But um, I saw another version, semi-professional theater of Blood Brothers. And I thought, oh my God, I just totally missed the boat on that one. Should have gone to see it because that would have been great. Now, since with the beauty of uh, the internet, you can actually find the two of them singing. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Like, what, a, what a fantastic voice that he had. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I think... He was put in that bubble of the Partridge family. And I don't think he ever, was ever able to get out of it. Um, you know, because that's when, um, and there was a couple of in, instance, incidents where, you know, for me, in discovering what the fan base was, um, like I said, you know, I learned about all his albums since his passing. And, you know, I still would love to hear and get a copy of the Madison Square Garden, you know, because I just, you know, keep hearing from so many people just how fantastic it is. And, it, you know, and yeah, it's, it's while, you know, you're excited as a kid and watching him because, you know, he was, he was the cool brother, the cool older brother on the show and the Partridge family. And then, you know, you look back and think, geez, that's, you know, too bad that he wasn't accepted for the musician that he was. And because he was put in this, he was pigeonholed and put in this uh, bubble of, uh, yes, you are that teen superstar, and that's all we're, we're going to get out of you. I mean, the fact that Alice Cooper has come forward to say, you know, he was an amazing musician, and I'll, I'll trust Alice Cooper uh, <laughs> in, in saying. I think a lot of people just don't realize the impact that he had. Yes, yeah. You said earlier on about the Partridge family music being your first introduction. I mean, that was top draw quality music. Maybe it's just with hindsight, you know, once people leave this planet, people begin to realize just how good they were. Yeah, but, but you know, it's, uh, I, was, uh, I was listening to a couple of your podcasts and I was, I'm fascinated and just in, in uh, one of the subjects of my podcast, Allison, who I spoke to, what I found fascinating was the, so here is an American born and raised musician who goes to another country and is accepted for something totally different for what he's accepted in his original country that he's from. You know, he was put in this 
um, box, you know, it's, and it's uh, sadly put in this box because there was other musicians like that. Uh, like I, I actually, I think of Davy Jones with, uh, with the monkeys. I mean, this is a guy, Davy Jones, who appeared in, um, oh, speaking of, you know, the Ed Sullivan and the Beatles, Davy Jones appeared on, from what I understand, that night uh, that the Beatles were on was also on the Ed Sullivan show um, because he was in the cast of Oliver Twist. And I know this, uh, I just found this out recently because um, Davy Jones, I can't remember how old he was at the time, but he had to come to America, North America by himself. And the only reason his mother let him go was because Davy Jones had relatives in a place called St. George, Ontario, which is about a 30 minute drive from where I live and his cousins were there. And I guess his aunt and uncle were the ones that took him to New York from what I, what I understand. So anyway, my, sorry, long story into that. So here is a guy talented in theater musically, you know, he's got the pipes and they go on the monkeys. And once again, there was another, uh, if I could call them uh, not, not to, not to punch down on them, but, you know, to be like a canned, uh, band where, you know, they, they were talented, they were musicians, but all they did was sing a few songs. And then there was this big machine, this music machine in the background that did all their work for them. And, you know, there were so many, uh, uh so many like that. And, and it's sad because, you know, you think, okay, well, wait a minute, there was, there was actual talent there, but because they were pigeonholed and then, you know, they, they go to the UK and then the U and fans in the UK see them for something totally different. And, and I think, I think that's great. I think what a great perspective to, you know, look at a different angle, look at a different, a person from a different angle to say, Hey, here's what you might want to look at. Here's what you might've missed the first time. And yeah, I think that's, uh, that's fantastic that, that, uh, that happened and happened with him. And he was able to, um, you know, come back after, I guess it was, was it 16 years after leaving the, the Partridge family? And then he had the David Cassidy's uh, album in 1990 and had his first number one hit in, I don't know how many years. And it was him. Mm. And oh. then th that was when you were able to interview him and you met him around that time, didn't you? Yes. That was exciting because that was like my, um, um, if you call it closure for my childhood, or a part of my childhood now in my adult years, because um, I will never forget the um, uh, that time. So I was working at a radio station in Orangeville, Ontario, and we did a news magazine show. And a lot of the a lot of the interviews they were recorded ahead of time. It wasn't a live show, so we, we picked and you know picked a lot of local stuff and just interesting um, that we thought that uh, listeners would like. So one of them uh, it was a music director, a guy by the name of Vic. Uh, would always come to me and pitch me ideas of uh, uh, pitch us ideas, you know, Hey, would you be interested in interviewing this artist because we're playing their music now? I'm just like, yeah, okay, sure. So the one, the one time he, he came in and he said, um, do you want to interview David Cassidy? And I said, like from the Partridge family? Yeah. And I said, yeah. And <laughs> oh, okay. So he's got a new album out. Here's the news release and, you know, I'll let you know what time they're available because he's doing a um, promotional thing. So I thought, holy crap, this is great. I want to, I want to talk to that. I'm going to talk to David Cassidy. Can't hardly wait to tell my sisters. So the one things, of course, I wanted to know 
was, uh, you know, I read the release uh, about his album, but the one thing I wanted to know is everything about the Partridge family. What was your relationship like, you know, with Shirley Jones? I always thought she was beautiful uh, growing up. And, and, and it was always interesting, like when the kids had a problem, she would say, let's have a talk. And I thought, just the way she said that, I thought, is that how mothers talk to their kids? <laughs> <laughs> my mother never said let's have a talk it was more hey get over here you know what was it uh, what kind of a relationship did you have with Susan Day because you guys were around the same age what was Danny Bonaducci like you know because I always actually probably could relate to Danny Bonaducci the most uh with because we were around the same age uh I guess and you know David Cassidy was like the cool older brother uh, or Keith the Partridge was a cool older brother on the show and then I also wanted to ask did you guys not find it weird that there was, you know, the brother left and a new brother came in who looked totally different from the first season brother? Because I remember my sisters and I having a discussion about that. It's like, hey, where'd the other guy go? And, you know, we always we're always worried, you know, what happened to them? And there was like, you know, nothing for years. So I had all these like questions raring to go. And then um, the day of the interview, Vic, the music director, says, oh, by the way, don't ask any Partridge family questions that and i said where are you why not he said no they just want to focus on the album uh for this uh, promotional tour and lying to myself was starting to be played on radios there was a video that came out um or shortly out of, after that and i said oh okay well there go all my questions so it was i mean i actually and just so you know i also had questions about the album and also um there there were other things that i looked at too because i had when i was ba I backpacked through europe in about 1985 i believe it was february of 1985 and i stayed at uh in london england at a bed and breakfast called the hansel and gretel and at this bed and breakfast there was a color little color television in the room I don't know if anybody else had one, but I remember one morning we were watching a morning show and David Cassidy was on. I thought, oh my God, it's David Cassidy. <laughs> What's he doing here? And uh, I honestly, I don't remember anything about the interview, but it, it, what was interesting is I looked it up because it's on his, on his website, appearances that he made. And he was on a, I believe, Good Morning Britain, but the date, and it was February of 85, but the dates didn't jive when I saw him because I actually, I journaled and kept uh, notes, still have it. I guess I'm a bit of a hoarder. Uh, kept, and I looked back, it's like, okay, where, when did I see David Kasser? When was I in, in the UK? I researched this, especially for you, Louise. And I was in London, England. It was like from February 1st to February 7th or something. And I'm positive I saw him there. But on his website, it said he was on later in the month when I would have been in Italy. And I thought, no, I know I saw him and he didn't have the blonde hair that he had in the February 18th interview that he says on his website. So, um, uh, okay. So where were we here? So anyway, yeah. So I, uh, that was the one question I had is like, you know, what brought you to, what brought you to the UK? What brought you to Great Britain? Um, that was, uh, I was always, you know, fascinated by that with artists because there was a couple of others at the time that had left, but, uh, you know, basically like what drew you there? Yeah. So, and then, I thought too, now let me get this straight. I thought, you know what? I got to ask him a question about the Partridge family. And, you know, maybe I won't say Partridge family because I made a mistake in before then. I interviewed Clarence Clemens. The, he was the saxophonist with the East Street Band. And 
that was the other thing I noticed I got don't ask any Bruce Springsteen questions because that was around the time that they broke up the like Bruce disbanded the band and there was one line (laughs) Clarence Clemens says Bruce Springsteen remember him like he threw in a comment as though aren't you going to ask me about that which I thought and I never did because I thought okay I'll follow the rules but in this time I thought okay what the heck is going to happen you know like is anybody gonna yell or whatever so anyway so Vic says no Partridge family. So just before the interview comes on, uh, I'm about to the, the, record the interview. Derek Ross, a guy by the name of Derek Ross, who, okay, here's some music trivia for you. Derek Ross was the bassist in a Canadian band called The Spoons, and they had a hit, Nova Heart. And there's a couple of other hits. Okay. So anyway, so of course he gets on the phone. I'm thinking, oh my God, Derek Ross. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, so, <laughs> this is, see, a lot of what I do, it's because it's cool, Louise. So he get Derek Ross gets on the phone and says, "Okay, Joe, uh, David's here. No Partridge Family questions." Uh, oh my God! <laughs> okay, I get it. Dave David Cassidy comes on and says, "Hey, how are you?" I was like, "Oh my God, it's David Cassidy." And he says, "Hey, how's it going?" You know, he starts off the interview. Thought, oh my God, he sounds like Keith Partridge. This is so cool. So then I I. Uh, <laughs> I, get, I, I know I, I'm like 10 years old all over again. So then we get to the point about, I thought, okay, I got to throw in uh, a question about the Partridge family. And, and I, but I worded it really awkwardly as something about the show that you used to do in the seventies. And he said, you know, the problem with, with it, he said, is, is if I started talking about it now, I would talk about it all day. And I thought, okay, fair enough. And it was a great answer. Are you getting asked a lot about the character you played in that uh, early 70s television show? Well, um, I, I think initially people say, um, I know that you don't want to talk a lot about it. And uh, the truth is that I could talk all day about it. And I have talked a lot about it since I've done it. I'd rather talk about what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no problem with it. I really embraced it. It was a great answer. And it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, he wanted to uh, move on with his career, you know, to get out of that that image. And I totally uh, get that. You know, the one question I actually want, did want to ask him about TV, because a lot of the, like I said, a lot of the, for me, the music was Partridge Family related, but I got a lot of David Cassidy information, if you will, from my sisters who bought the teen magazines. And I mean, I didn't have any money to buy uh, any magazines at the time until I got a part-time job. And by the time I got, I started working, my musical, uh, my music had changed so much. Um, but, uh, but I wanted to ask him, I always wanted to ask him about that police story um, program that he did. It was uh, like, there was a, there was a police story pilot and then there was David Cassidy man undercover. Yeah. But I remember watching, I think it was in grade nine and he played this undercover cop going into a high school with a drug trade. And I thought, Oh my God, like that is so perfect. What a perfect role for him. You know, cause I always thought I used to follow like a few, a few actors like that. And I was like, Oh, is that ever great? Like he, you know, that he was able to, he's still able to do this and he's able to, because he's, he looks so young still. I mean, you look like a high school student and he would have been in his mid twenties at the time if I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, he looked at, you know, 10 years younger or whatever, or, you know, he was able to play that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I wish I had talked about that, but I mean, the interview went, went fine and it was, oh, that was the other thing. We only had like 10 minutes. It was like, here's the interview. And here's the time that you have. Get everything in and hope that, you know, he answers all the questions. And he did. 
And and this is the other thing I learned too in in since uh, David's passing, is uh, looking up you know on Twitter like people make comments of the podcast of the interview when when I posted it and and actually I just um I want to give you just a quick background when I when I started that podcast um, I was um, in, in a bit of a career slump in a lot of a career slump let's put it that way. I remember thinking, do you remember, Joe, when you were doing this and you thought it was cool and you really liked being on the radio and some of the cool things that you did? So that's for me. It was why I started this um, putting together audio and uh, putting together shows for a podcast and started my my website. Uh, David Cassidy was always one of one of the interviews that I wanted to post on. I discovered that he was sick. And thought, you know, it was on my list of uh, podcasts to do. And I thought, you know what? I should probably put this on. I didn't realize he was going to die after, you know, it was like three or four days later after. And I was totally struck by how, you know, people who reacted to it were commenting on, you know, stuff that he said uh, from that. I am so glad that I kept the interview. I mean, I kept a lot of the interviews that I did newscast because really what it started out to be was I would save a newscast that was pretty good. I would save an interview that was pretty good or a report. And at the time when early in the rate in my radio career, if you wanted to get a job or trying to get a job at another station, what you did was you had your cover letter, you had your resume, and then you put a cassette in and it usually had a newscast an interview and a report. They probably, the news director listened to, you know, the first uh, 60 seconds of and said, yeah, like the voice or don't, whatever, see you later. But I used to save these interviews as kind of a, um, uh, not even so much as a memento, but more as an opportunity to say, oh, I got to interview this person. And here's a sample of it when, you know, when I would put it together on an air check. 25 years pass or something like that. And I'm thinking, well, geez, I, what the heck am I going to do with all this stuff? And so I ended up digitizing it. And that's where, you know, now I look back and think, oh, hey, I'm so glad that I kept this as a kind of a document to say, oh, yes, I interviewed uh, David Cassidy. I interviewed, you know, um, Clarence Clemens or, um, you know, other people or just, you know, that uh, regular person on the street. It was an issue that happened and it was just as a document of it. But so that's how all of uh, all of that uh, started, and it was it was funny because it was um, uh, I just actually in this one I just started talking and there was no like sound effects. I usually put I don't have rights for music or anything like that. So this was early on. I just did a bare bones kind of uh, recording of uh, sound effects of a real to real machine, and in, in the David one, it was just me. I just started talking and said, "Here's the here's the interview," um, and it was. Um, yeah, I mean, he was in the news at the time, but it's still now, it's the most listened to interview that I have on the podcast. Yeah, like people still will still will uh, will listen to it. And then uh, it was around that time that they had the, uh, the record release party in Toronto, which I was able to go to, which was also very exciting. So you got the opportunity to meet him. Yes, I did. And actually, and I want to actually, uh, I want to show you a couple things. Here's one that you will find this totally interesting. And I, you see, it's, I thank people like you. I thank you, not people like you. I thank you, Louise, for posting on um, Twitter 
that uh, when it was the anniversary of the start of when the Partridge family came on the air in North America. Now, what date was that? Do you remember? September the 25th, 1970. So I get an invitation to uh, David Cassidy record release party. And the date was September 25th, 1990. Okay, so imagine like, you know, I got the goosebumps. I thought, oh, wow, is that ever... (laughs) So let me read this to you. So it's, uh, yeah, Enigma Records cordially, uh, cordially invites you and a friend to join us in welcoming David Cassidy to Toronto to celebrate the debut of his new record. Tuesday, September 25th, 1990, 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m., Lee's Palace Dance Cave, in brackets, 529 Bloor Street West, refreshments and appetizers, I don't remember any of the time, RSVP, <laughs> and please present the invitation for entry admits too. So, yeah, so I uh, I held on to it. Um, I don't know I don't know if this was one of those things where you're supposed to submit it and they take it, but I, I think I asked yeah. for just for me for memorabilia. because I, So I brought my camera along, too because I wanted to take photos and it it was around that time I started to bring my camera um if there was you know if I was interviewing um a prominent person or a notable person at the time to uh to take photos of course now you know with uh smartphones it's just so easy to uh (laughs) to do that take pictures but this this was the actual you know camera with the film that you had to get developed it was like a week or whatever and um i snapped a bunch of photos like there's some on on my website too and it was basically because um i was so surprised at the crowd that was there like there was there were much music vj so much music was an all music channel here in uh, in canada uh, much music vj was there there were other musicians who had been invited there it was unbelievable and when he came out the crowd just swarmed around him i, I thought oh my god there's no way <laughs> to get a photo because I brought my my sister I asked my sister Yvonne if uh, she wanted to go and she said yeah sure you know nothing else going on on a Tuesday night and I said yeah well we're gonna go see David Cassidy Fine. <laughs> that's gonna be cool and I've never been to Lee's Palace oh by the way and for the record that was the first and last record release party that I, I was ever at haven't been to one since so maybe I'm due well you wouldn't be able to top it really would you no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So then, uh, so there was the here. Let me show you this other photo, and you, there's a copy on uh, of this oh, on the yeah. website. So this is the Polaroid Instamatic cameras. Yes. How can I put this? Let me put this into context. Getting my picture taken with David Cassidy in this scenario that night, it was kind of like kids lining up to get their pictures taken with Santa Claus. Only there was more hype over David Cassidy than I ever saw for Santa Claus. And also maybe with Santa Claus, everybody was lined up and, you know, with your parents and who are going to yell at you if you stepped out of line. So I tried to get as close as possible to him. And I had, um, yeah, so this is me getting close. So I ended up getting, managed to get as close as possible. That's me there with, uh, there's a green leather jacket. And this is my sister taking pictures and I was actually doing the same with her but then when I got close enough I realized that they were taking uh the Polaroid shots so later on and and this went on forever I mean it was 7 to 9 30 but it seemed like it went on for hours where people were getting their photos taken 
So what um, a bunch of people that we met after we were comparing our, our photos and we noticed that, that David looked the same in every photo. Like it was almost like it was a cardboard cutout, but think of it though. This is a guy who knew how to pose for a photo and you know, knew where to look and exactly what the smile was going to be. And I think actually, but the guy in the background in the red, I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's Derek Ross. The other thing I found interesting about meeting David Cassidy or standing next to him, I think we said hi to each other, but was how he still had that 29 inch waist. <laughs> he was still so thin. I, I actually thought he was taller. And, and what, but what struck me was like, wait a minute, I'm taller than him. Cause you know, I mean, the guy was on TV, you think, well, he's huge. And you know, he's a, he's a rock star. He's huge. Um, but he was, he still had that like 29, 30 inch waist or whatever. And in looking at the photo, every time I look at the photo of me and him, I think, how is it that I look older than <laughs> and he's like, 40. And I'm like, I don't know how old I was at the time. I was um, not even 30. <laughs> but, you know, I looked that much older than him. I was always struck by that. I don't think they gave out a, a record, a copy of that album. I remember, um, I know I got a copy from from the station, from the, uh, the CD, but I actually went looking for it. And I, I don't know if I lent it to someone and never got it back. But anyway, I couldn't find it. So the people that I speak to who have met him, they say, yes, they were speechless in his presence. But there was something almost spiritual about him. Can you remember how you felt in that moment when you were in the same room as him and then standing next to him with your arm round his shoulder? Hmm. Did that mean something to the eight, nine-year-old boy? Oh, big time. Big time. It was very exciting. It was very exciting from the sense that, you know, hey, I got to meet one of my one of my idols when I was uh, when I was a kid. Like this is really this is really cool. You know, and I and I've had that, you know, feeling even with with others that I have met, you know, other people that I've seen on on television. There's um, um, it, it bring back it brings back warm memories from your childhood, from my childhood of the you know sitting around the the television watching the show you know think of anyone who i, I have met uh, i've met uh, uh, other athletes um uh, as well other musicians and you know who i had that connection you know hey you were that woman on tv you're that guy on tv that's uh, so cool and you know i there was um yeah there was I, you know i never thought of it as a spiritual connection there was a there was a vibe there was a, a positive buzz. There is a warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, if I could, uh, uh, you know, maybe describe it that way. And it was uh, everyone. I, I, I do know that everyone had fun. You know, there was a lot of a lot of people were talking to each other that, you know, these were people that we didn't know. I mean, the only person I knew besides my sister and I, you know, was David Cassidy and I only had seen Derek Ross in concert with the, the spoons. That was it. And then there was the other people showed up and it was like, Oh, wow. Is this, this ever great? It was almost uh, the offshoot of that. It was that it brought a friendly experience to everyone that was there because everyone was there for the same reason. This was their idol 
growing up. They were a fan of his um, uh, growing up and, you know, be it with, uh, with the music uh, impact that he had on them, be it watching TV in the Partridge family, whether it was the, um, the teen magazines, whether it was the theatrical uh, stuff, it was a, it was a positive vibe. And I think, you know, that's great that, you know, somebody will have that effect on everyone, you know, in a room who's going to see like, yeah, I was just, I was so taken aback as to just how packed it was when we walked in. It was um, just a second. That means it's 12 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, it it, it was, uh, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. And it was like, holy smokes, this is like, this is huge. There are a lot of people here to see this one guy. And, uh, you know, and it was looking back at it too, is, and I remember my sister said, and my sister wondered what he was going through, what he was thinking, you know, he had the smile on his face. What did he come from? You know, kind of thing. What was his, like, what was his day? Like, what was his, his thought process? Like were people, you know, remembering for him for what he was or, you know, hoping that, you know, the album would, uh, would take off the song would take off. And, you know, there were performances after that. So. Yeah. Cool. In your interview with him, he spoke about, you know, the new David, how much he loved the music, how well it had been received. I think that it's important to just show as much and reveal as much about yourself as you possibly can. People get some insight as to who I am. And uh, there's a lot of up-tempo sort of rocking stuff, too. And Line of Myself is really uh, one of those, I think, tougher, more rock, pop records that I've ever made. And hopefully, um, I mean, the reaction thus far has been fantastic. And uh, it's just great to be back. Did you like the CD? And do you think that relaunching of his career could have been or should have been bigger? I did like the CD. I only remember a couple of songs. Like, see, this is going far back. And of course, I couldn't find it. Yeah, I was actually, I was surprised that it didn't, you know, I mean, I think Enigma, I think they folded a little while. The record company folded a while after that. And I don't remember seeing any, any concerts uh, if he had been in any concerts, I remember just a promotional tour for the album and he mentioned something about getting a band together, but I don't know if he had played. And certainly, I mean, I was at a time too, I was, uh, I was a new father and uh, so, and also working a morning shift and, you know, late nights never happened uh, again. In fact, actually David Cassidy played at a theater here in Kitchener and never got to go see him because it was a, it was a Thursday night or a Wednesday night, whatever the heck it was. And I was working a morning shift and it's like, okay, this isn't going to happen, you know, for whatever the timing, it was always actually either there was a money issue, there was a financial issue. And then, you know, when there was enough money to afford tickets to a concert, it was like, well, I got to get up at three o'clock in the morning. I can't, I can't go to bed at midnight because it's not going to look good or sound good either. Did you always want to be a news reporter? Yes. Uh, yes, I used to play radio when I was a, a young boy. Uh, and I'm talking elementary school, play radio big time. And it was a lot of, a lot of the influence uh, for me came from my older sisters. I have five older sisters who bought records, who listened to the radio, who always had the radio on in the car. Uh, we always watched American Bandstand. And, you know, we were the kind of like kids who sang in the car um, at times. 
So uh, for me, it always started as wanting to be a rock and roll DJ. And then as time, uh, time went on, when I uh, took um, history courses and then politics courses, this actually started in high school. It was an influence of a high school teacher of mine who was a radio news reporter. That's when it kind of all, um, uh, it started to be serious. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great business. It's, you know, I've always thought like, okay, well, what would I do? besides this and i haven't really come up with a solid plan <laughs> yet <laughs> when i do i'll let you know <laughs> you get sucked in and it's uh oh i i can't remember the quote now from godfather uh part three every time i try to get out they pull me back in that's it it was uh it was just it was so interesting from so many levels from the creativity level from the speaking to people level from meeting people of uh, all different walks of life uh yeah it's been it's been very exciting it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun some you know some it's been uh if i could quote uh, uh, uh an english author it's been the best of times and it's been the worst of times uh but it's been exciting and i would uh i would do it all over again Take us back to your early years and how you evolved from from being just a young boy with dreams and ambitions. Oh wow, that's uh, okay. How could I? Uh, let me try to compress that. <laughs> it was uh, so. Born, I was born actually ten days after the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. I'd like to tell people that just for context. Um, and so I was a, I guess, a '70s kid, if you will. Um, and you know, and that was elementary, mostly elementary, and growing up through there. So, uh, reason I tell you that with the elementary and the '70s kid in the '70s in Canada, in Guelph, Ontario, where I grew up, we were, you know, we had 13 channel black and white television. There was uh, AM radio we had a newspaper subscription to the guelph mercury that's where kind of the world came in from uh, from our perspective in that time and you know we didn't we didn't have much um but you know it was uh i don't know it was the world as um, as i knew it at the time you know liverpool street where i grew up um and which is why actually now I cheer on Liverpool FC. I don't know if there's any non-Liverpool fans out there, but I'll just throw that on the table. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, we can talk about soccer another time. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it, Liverpool Street was the center of the universe, and there was uh, I wasn't involved in a lot of sports or anything like that. But there was a lot of a uh, lot of play on the streets, a lot in you know in school. It was just, you know, it was a fun time that, you know, you try now, I look back and think, oh, yeah, that was that was pretty good for me. I don't know what it was like for anyone else who was growing up at that time. But, you know, my dad was uh, was a, uh, a trained chef. He worked as a chef, uh, worked uh, at the university in town. And my mom was a seamstress. She has a number of seamstress jobs. And, you know, there's six, like so six kids in our family ranging in age from the oldest. I'm like, there's 19 years difference. Wow. And, you know, I was just, uh, my, my mother always said, I was like one of the, I was very curious. And I think it was that curious aspect that kind of led into the profession um, that I am in now. It took a while to get there though. It was um, because there was a, for me, there was a lot of, um, I don't know, maybe self-esteem issues, if you put it that way. And um, not sure if it was the right thing to do while I found, you know, and connected with a high school teacher 
who influenced me to get into um, radio and uh, radio news. It, it took a while, you know, to get into the course, to succeed in the course, to, you know, I finally got a first job and, you know, it was like a struggle to at the beginning because you're trying to sound good on the radio. You're trying to be a good writer. You're trying to be a good reporter. And, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, you're terrible uh, at it. I say you, that me, I was, it was a huge struggle. It was trying like, uh, almost like trying to walk as a, as a child or uh, I had more success learning how to drive than I did in getting a job in, in, uh, in radio. It just, it, it took a, a while. It was, and it was at the time, you know, looking back now, hindsight is 2020. Um, and somebody may have told me this at the time, you know, it's like, it's a marathon, take your time, you know, uh, get better, you know, listen to, uh, to your air checks go over your writing, you know, be well read and uh, all that stuff. So, but that actually, so see that curiosity that uh, I just, maybe because I was the youngest in the family, I used to sit back and listen to the stories that my parents would tell, um, you know, had an aunt or uncle would come over or, you know, my parents, friends, and just listen to stuff that they said and kind of became a sponge sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, even, you know, stories of with uh, that my sisters told from, you know, raising um, children to, you know, dating and uh, boyfriends and breakups and the gossip at school. You know, it was, it was uh, they were a good training ground. <laughs> they were good research not a training ground. They were good research for uh, stuff that was to come, but it was, uh, you know, they were also very influential too. And a lot of it with the radio and, uh, and stuff and television that we watched, it was, uh, I think that kind of led the path to, and, and also, uh, and how I, we were also a very outspoken family. You know, we all, we, we always joke about having Italian family reunions where everybody's talking at the same time. And, you know, a lot of, and everybody is, and everybody's louder. So, you know, there's that projection. There's a lot of training ground, if you will, within that, where we're, we're all talking and we're all talking loud and we're all trying to tell the story. And, you know, there are certain, uh, you know, we have, we have a good, you know, a lot of laughs and we still keep in touch now. My sisters and I, my parents have passed, uh, but we keep, an eye, uh, uh, an eye on each other through uh, video messaging. Did I answer your question? Uh, <laughs> to, it's interesting else? that you mentioned there about perhaps not having a lot of self-esteem. Did you ever have any experiences that it took just perhaps one major story or one major encounter to make you realize, do you know, I'm really quite good at what I do? Sure. There, there have been uh, a number of stories that have, uh, have, uh, that I've done, you know, and I think now because I've started looking back at, at a lot of the, um, the, the wow moments that I thought, you know, I want to look back at my career and say, you know, remember that time that was a lot of fun. That was, you know, that interview I did, that was, that was great. Um, like really, if uh, you sure I've had, I've had a lot of compliments from uh, bosses. There was one guy who was an operations manager who helped me through my announce style. So I went to him and I said, well, listen, I'm having some problems on air. I was wondering if you can help me. And he did air. So he did an air check as we called it. So he listened to my newscast and he edit, like he went through everything. He said, okay, a couple things. First of all, your headphones, don't wear your headphones. Cause when you make a mistake on air, hearing it in your headphones is going to amplify it even more. He was right. He said, have you gotten your eyes checked? 
do you need reading glasses? And I thought, okay, good uh, to, to do that. And he said, what's the lighting like in the booth? Because at the time we were reading off print and copy and the lighting was terrible. So, you know, they actually got a reading lamp for me, <laughs> I remember. And then he went through, you know, the every uh, every script okay why did you write it this way you had an inflection at the end it sounds like you're going to say something else but you know you're going to end the story and it was uh, it was so i mean it was a confident uh, certainly a confidence booster having this uh, this guy help me gerald uh, was his name and that kind of set the tone for everything else i mean it was certainly something where where performance is concerned, where it, it, it gave me the confidence to say, okay, yes, this is awesome. I can do this. I can, I can bring out the outgoing personality that I had as a person just speaking to anyone at a gathering or at a party to the person who turns on the microphone and has the confidence to speak and to explain to everybody what's, uh, what's happening. Took time though took a lot of time that was like early in my career that was uh that was the first step and um uh, you know and then the esteem you know slowly picked up because you know someone thought i was good enough to work at a big market radio station uh at a toronto market radio station it was the overnight shift but still it was the most listened to radio station across canada at the time and i was like okay well this is kind of cool and then eventually going into uh, a morning ship. So it was, yes, yeah, slowly but surely it, uh, it kind of, you know, it rises up to until you get to the point and say, okay, let's not get too cocky. <laughs> let's, let's still be the same Joe you were, you know, before when you were stepping up without, uh, without being arrogant. Which areas of news did you enjoy working? Would it have been entertainment, politics, general news? My favourite is speaking to um, just the average person. There are still certain voices that, um, and I'll put it in air quotes, haunt me. Um, and where I still, I wonder, I said, geez, whatever happened to that person? Of course, now with with search engines, you can look up a name or you can look up uh, uh, say, you know, maybe, you know, you have luck finding, but um, it's speaking to that, um, that person who is having a problem about, you know, whether, like I spoke to um, two people who were brave enough to speak to me at the time about the anxiety attacks that they were having and agoraphobia uh, to a person who had, um, this was in Toronto now, she had left a group home Ran, kept running away from a group home because she didn't like it there. And, you know, to people who were living in um, kind of squalid conditions who had kept having their power turned off because the landlord was having uh, an issue uh, or they had issues with the, with the landlord. It, it just, it, it's that, uh, just that regular, that person, you know, your neighbor, you know, the person in your citizen in your community, who, uh, who has a conflict and, you know, you chat with them about it because maybe the conflict that they're having might help somebody else who's, who's going through it. I, I mean, I, yeah, I liked it all. I, I just, I'm, I'm the one thing, one assignment I was thrown, I mean, really in radio news, we were all, gen, it, I was just, a, I was general reporter. I, I refer to it as a general. I never had a specific beat, uh, except in early on, I did go to, school board meetings, which, uh, you know, and I thought, 
I don't know. I thought they maybe assigned me to it because I was like, you know, 10 minutes out of high school kind of thing when I, and they thought I would do something about it, or maybe it was just the regular assignment beat, but that was the only uh, like official beat. Cause after time went on, it was just general assignments that we went to, but the one assignment that I, I was always scratched my head over was um, uh, I, I had to do a farm report an agriculture report. So here I am assigned to do an agriculture report. And here's what I know about agriculture. I know that uh, food comes from the farm. Um, my father was born and raised on a farm. My father-in-law was born and raised on a farm. Um, he was in the turnip business. That's all I knew about farming. And that was it. And also, you know, the fact that where I live, there's farming community within a 15 minute drive. So they asked me to do this uh, uh, 60 second farm report. And I think, what the heck? I know nothing about farming. What the heck am I going to do here? You know, it's like, and then it was a case of, and this is where like kind of the anxiety and then the self-esteem issues come in. It's like, okay, well, what if I do it wrong? You know, what's this going to mean? Am I going to get fired? Uh, so, you know, and I was kind of asking, okay, well, what do you want? want to, uh, what do you want from this? And uh, well, here's the news releases and so on. So anyway, so I started doing research and I started taking it seriously. And this is this is what would have been in the early '90s where there was a lot of um, Matt Cow disease. So I actually kept all this audio just you know because I thought <laughs> it would it would be great to send on an air check if I needed to get a job somewhere else. I I listened about back, back to some. I thought, oh yeah, this actually I found I sound like I know what the heck I'm talking about. I even had interviews with people, you know, from the from the Ministry of Agriculture, and uh, you know, there were farmers, you know, talking about uh, chickens laying eggs. My my favorite, and it wasn't an original story, but it was a story that I followed up from uh, from a newspaper where the potato growers of Alberta had just launched a website. This is when websites were coming on and, you know, dot com was was uh, going crazy. And the Potato Growers of Alberta, their website uh, address was PGA.com. So the Professional Golfers Association really wanted PGA.com. So I guess, I don't know, they paid them, I don't know how much money to, to say, hey, could we have that? Anyway, the Potato Growers of Alberta apparently made uh, some uh, bit of money to uh, change that. That's the one story I remember. There was a few others. I mean, it's human interest stories. You know? Yeah, totally, totally. And that's in so that that's like really, it's you know, I'll cover sure, I'll cover any story. Just kind of uh, throw it uh, throw it my way. I'll take it. It's, and of course, so. the majority of your interviews would have been live, would they? Uh, yes, for yeah, because I did host a noon hour show, and a lot of those were they were live. Yeah, now that's and, pressure in itself. Oh my goodness, is it ever? Um, because you know you got seven minutes, and you sometimes you don't know if the person's going to give you yes or no answers, or they're going to go on forever with uh, their answers. And you know you're always looking at the clock and saying, okay, let's get through this. You know yes. sometimes. I don't know, this has happened many times, probably to you too, where you ask one question, you've got a list of five questions. You ask one question and they answer three of them. <laughs> okay, where are we going next? Thinking, oh, God, now where do I go? Yeah. And uh, then you get those who, uh, you've probably ha had this, this as well. Um, you ask them a question, they give you like a one word answer. I always wonder what, okay, what is going on with that person that I got, does, is everyone getting a one word answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, does some stress happen just before? <laughs> 
got on the phone exactly. with me are they have they been asked that question a thousand times mm. um, you know what the heck is going on or it, it's it, were they thrown into the position to you know somebody ball and told them to be the spokesperson at the time I, yeah do you feel that being a news reporter do you feel it was your destiny hmm that's a heavy question louise <laughs> Possibly, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Possibly, maybe you know the the kid that uh, the kid that used to play radio and used to be the announcer at uh, the pep rallies and wanting to read the announcements sometimes at, in high school, or and also the guy who loved I loved doing seminars. I hated doing tests and exams, mm-hmm. and so a, a seminar to be able to present what's happening, you know, your a subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Of the Partridge Family catalogue, are there any particular songs that you look back or you listen to these days and say, do you know, that's the perfect pop song? A lot of people would say, I think I love you. You mentioned I woke up in love this morning or is it looking through the eyes of love or is it a particular album that really encompasses what the sound was all about? See, uh, the theme song to the Partridge family, and, and maybe, and even I woke up this in love this morning. To me, it it's that it's got that happy beat to it, and I, you know, and I, I actually, um, so we, quick backstory. So when I was turned forty, I, you know, you know, forty is supposed to be the momentous. Oh my God, it's forty. So I actually went through. Uh, I picked my top forty at forty. I was going to ask you about these. And I had, I had a criteria. I had a, a criteria. So the criteria was, it's a song that I just start singing. It's, you know, it becomes, it's the musical in, in Joe's life. It's a song that I start singing. It's a song that I start moving, start dancing to. It doesn't have to be all the same. It could be, you know, one or the other. Um, it is a song that I will do uh, air guitar or play the drums or whatever. A lot of Led Zeppelin shows up in that one. But, and then uh, the other one is, it is a song that takes me back, like the Elton John song, Bitches Back, to I remember exactly where I was when that happened. And so I think that's why, you know, those two were probably, you know, prominent uh, for me. Because it's still, I see, it's still in that, I'm in that, uh, I'm in the genre if you have to put genre fans of David Cassidy fans on, on your podcast, I'm probably of the genre of mostly the Partridge family. Lying to myself, I really like that song when it came out. Still, there's a song that still haunts. Uh, and see, once again, this is all top 40 stuff. Uh, Cherish, and I woke up and loved this morning, and then come on, get happy. So it's very limited. See, I'm more of the visual David Cassidy in the magazines and on the shows. Let's put it this way. Like I always, I, I always admired his, his voice. You know, for me, it was mostly Partridge family, but it was, I was a fan of his, uh, of his voice. Um, just because he was that cool guy, that cool older kid from, uh, from my childhood. So how important was that musical influence on, on you and what new music did that introduce you to? You know, I, I possibly, Hmm. You're, you're going to make me think about stuff after. <laughs> it's like, oh, I should have said that. You know, the see, music in my family, anyway, music was very prominent 
And there were just so many different styles of music that uh, that we listened to. I mean, I, I probably out of all my siblings, you know, listened to uh, hard rock, maybe not heavy metal kind of thing when, you know, it all started with Kiss being introduced and then, um, you know, Rush came later that, uh, well, they didn't come later, they came around the same time. And uh, so it was, um, like I accepted a lot of music, uh, like and accepted is what I mean that I'll listen to everything, you know, even to, you know, some song that, you know, a person or a genre of music that someone doesn't like uh, or whatever, I'll listen to it that just to kind of get a feel is like, okay, what, what, is, what do people like about this? Like I was actually recently listening to a lot of fiddle music and I just, fiddle is, something you know you'd see in a movie or something is background music and i thought oh this is interesting how they have the how it goes from a real like a soft ballad to something really fast to um it's like wow like what is the the fingering involved in playing that banjo uh so like with with the if there was anything with the kids on the partridge family because I see, I thought they played their own their own instruments and didn't realize that was the case. And used to think I would be really cool to get dressed in suits like they had in the jump. They didn't have jumpsuits, but they had they had matching uniforms and uh, play the guitar and sing in a band. Never got to do that though. That was it was more so if there was any influence there along them, along with the monkeys too, maybe more them because there were kids my age that I always wanted to play in a band and never, never got an opportunity to uh, do so. I think my biggest influence now about learning more about David's music is through listening to your podcast and listening to um, when I interviewed um, Allison and, and her name was in my podcast where it opened up something totally different for me outside of David Cassidy's The Partridge Family. And, you know, the way I hear the fans that you have on speak passionately of the music that the albums that he had, and that's where now where I want to listen to it and think, okay, can I, you know, can I sample it somewhere? You know, like, like I said before, love to hear the concert at Madison Square Garden, because for me right now, I think I'm maybe I'm at the age too, where well, I, I don't really want a Partridge family sound anymore. Although, you know, hey, if it comes on the radio, I'll start singing along. Or if there's other tunes, you know, there's even like Sean Cassidy stuff. I was actually humming along to a Sean Cassidy song. Because, uh, you know, it was from that impressionable age where you remember everything, it seems. And, you know, but now it's a, it's a case of, no, I'd like to like to hear more of that, the rock stuff that he did, the, the Jeff Beck and the Eric Clapton. Like, I have not been exposed to that. And I think it's, you know, I applaud you for getting people to talk about it and what the influence was. So to, you know, get people like me who only really learned about the, you know, from the TV and the, and the magazine sides and, you know, was the fan in that aspect and kind of followed the career sort of from the sidelines that, uh, you know, it's worthwhile to have a listen and uh, let's take a, take a look again at, uh, at this musician and, um, and see what he, what he had to offer. It was more than this kid, not kid show, a family show. You know, and who knows, maybe there is, you know, somewhere locked away, there is a recording of that. Well, if they found uh, that, oh, there's that special coming up 
with uh, the Beatles that Peter Jackson did, the, the Let It Be recordings. If they found that in a vault after 50 years, I'm sure <laughs> they can find, I'm sure something is out there somewhere um, that you know someone will get their hands on and hopefully we'll be able to uh, turn it around. Yeah. Because it's bad. footage like that that we need to secure his legacy and to say to mm -hmm. people, hey, yeah, there was more to him than just the image we were sold. Yeah, that, and that's what I, I learned too. When in in that in the one interview I did was I didn't realize that his catalog had not been released. You know, for an artist that size, that that big, in that era in the early seventies, um, that it boggles my mind. Like, because you know, with him, I started thinking of other artists at the time, um, like Bobby Sherman. You know, I'm thinking of even like guys like Fabian from the 50s. And, you know, like there were, of course, all the other packaged um, singers. But I think, you know, it's it's unfortunate that they were, I don't know, taken for their look at the time. And then, you know, what the heck happened that it just they kind of, you know, fell off to the wayside. I referenced Donny Osmond in my interview with him and his tone changed. David Tone, you know, and I still, I, it was, it was obvious to me, like he was, because uh, it was something about now, it, oh, I don't know, it was a question about going to the UK, uh, you know, why did you go to the UK? And, and I said something to the effect of, I mentioned Donny Osmond, because I thought he had gone to the UK as well. And I noticed when he started, well, the reason I went. You know, it was because his writing partner was there because I noticed there was a shift in tone and, you know, and really it, I don't know, from a fan point of view, I'm sure there were other teenagers at the time, not only where they admired David Cassidy, but they would have admired Donny Osmond. They would have admired the Osmond brothers. They would have admired the Jackson five. And it wasn't, you know, you know I know some of the teen magazines tried to, you know, get the the riff going between the bands, but I mean, it was all like uh, stupid hype. But sorry, you just—that's. I think I know now why. <laughs> that uh, holy smokes! See, see, I learn a lot from uh, doing interviews like this, Louise. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, hey, here's something I learned. Sorry to interrupt. So one of the uh, bits of research when I was uh, uh, looking at the Parcher County. So the one. The one, like I mentioned before, I like the Danny Bonaduce character, yes. the Danny character, but I also like the interaction between him and Reuben Kincaid. Mm. Reuben Kincaid reminded me of, you know, somebody who was living in Guelph. I don't know. There was there's a lot of guys like that who was, you know, just seemed like, you know, somebody you could talk to, an adult that you could joke around with. So I I did a, was a doing, you know, as, as part of the research and remembering, trying to trigger my memory, I had looked up uh, Dave Madden. And I didn't realize this until this week that he was born in Sarnia, Ontario. That's about a three-hour drive from where I live. He may have been born there. He wasn't raised there because I think his, uh, I believe his father died when he was younger and his mother was on the road. She was uh, in sales or something. So he was raised by his uh, a relative in Port Huron and then he, he moved into, moved to Indiana. Uh, or something so I thought oh, okay <laughs> it's funny you start just like going back <laughs> and then it just leads down into other fantastic uh, little rabbit holes I still remember they had a reunion show it was a few years after 
the show went off the air. They asked Dave Madden the question, so what did you do after the, the series ended? And he said, well, you know, I went home and I, I made myself some breakfast <laughs> or lunch or whatever. I, I, yeah, this is like, you know, 35, 40 years later, I still remember stuff like that. that How important fun. is the Partridge family as a television series important to the culture of American history? Ooh, you ask very deep questions. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I better give a good answer because the you know, Americans are relying on me. I think it's very important. Uh, you know, I mean, it was uh, it, it was a family show that came on. It was played after the Brady Bunch, which was huge, um, but it was a different family. You know, it was a showing a family of musicians. And um, uh, I didn't realize this until recently, that it was based on the family, the Cowsills, the series, which I never knew. I mean, I knew who the Cowsills were, but how many times since then that I have heard stories about, oh, you know, my family and I, you know, we used to sit around the table after dinner, we'd play the guitars and we'd sing, you know, I've heard about the family, you know, so it brought another, a different aspect in there. And also, but Shirley Jones was one of the first single parents or, I mean, she was widowed on the show, which brought that aspect uh, of it in as well. And the, the Brady's were a blended family. Um, so it, it brought in a, like, it wasn't a um, leave it to Beaver Donna Reed show kind of thing from if I, the fifties, if I'm not mistaken, the U S so it, uh, and, and I don't know what other, Oh, actually, no, here's another show. Uh, the Courtship of Eddie's Father with Bill Bixby. And I can't remember the young guy's name. Uh, he was not young anymore, uh, but who, who played his son. There was, uh, I believe he was also widowed. So there were, there were, they were showing family shows, but it was it, it from a different perspective of what Americans had been seeing. And, you know, but, but also, you know, showing them in the sense that life goes on. And this is how we're dealing with life right now with uh, with the issues or whatever the teenagers are are having. I don't I, the only issue I remember from the uh, from the Partridge family, and this is maybe because it struck a chord with me. And I still remember it was Danny. The Danny character was standing out in front of his house and there were neighbors that were protesting the Partridge, and I can't remember why they were protesting. And then somebody made made a comment about the fact that he had long hair. And I, that always stuck with me because I always wanted that long hair. That was, <laughs> I want, I don't know if I'm, I mean, I mentioned the shirts and the choker and the hair, but they had the hair, of course, you know, you look at me now, I got a chrome starting, um, but they had, um, you know, where he parted it in the middle, but it was also long my hair got to a certain length it was like barber time <laughs> well i was going to go on from that by asking another deep question <laughs> they always seem to address domestic and cultural issues mm -hmm. so do you think that maybe helped young children who were in a home that may have been a bit dysfunctional or if they didn't have good communication with parents that they would learn watching the partridge family and oh yes you know shirley partridge is my surrogate mother if you like oh definitely definitely i wonder could you say that some of those early shows with the family shows it was early therapy 
They were early therapy sessions in showing people that, yes, yeah, stuff like this happens. Or, you know, for a person who, yeah, is in, you know, may have been in a dysfunctional situation. Yeah, this is the way other people live. Um, or, you know, did they show, it depends on how you react to it, that fun aspect of it. Okay, hey, I got to remember that, um, you know, with uh, the dating the, or, or whatever it is, you know, with uh, with braces or, or crushes, because, you know, there are certain, I mean, life art imitates life life imitates art it's uh it's a bit of both it's uh it's so true it's there was even i, I and this is actually totally uh, different this is going back to the brady bunch now for a second there was uh, an episode where it was something about dating greg the oldest one didn't want to go on a date or something and the line he used well something suddenly came up <laughs> that was the i'm not interested in going out with you kind of thing which led i mean you know so many people now i'm sure you know and it, the language may be different now uh, than it was you know 30 40 years ago and it's going to evolve into something else where somebody may make a you know a lineup like that and you know okay this is good this is good to, i gotta remember that because that's happened to me you know it's, it is very relatable and the long hair, which is really what I wanted, Louise. Oh, you're in the process of yeah. still learning about so many different aspects of his acting career, his music. What you think David's legacy should be? You know, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you asked me that question because um, when he passed away, I mean, I, I'm sure, like a lot of people, I didn't know he was sick, that he had been sick, and you know, I remember. You know, there was there was a connections to Saratoga Springs because I, I remember my wife and I went there for a weekend because they had a farm aid concert there, and I only knew that horses were race they raced horses there because David Cassidy had a horse. Uh, of course, I thought, yeah, hey, maybe we'll run into him, but that did not happen. Um, but it was it it saddened me what his legacy should be is you know he should be rem remembered as a very talented musician outside of his stuff from the partridge family you know it, it has to be recognized because he was a part of it and he was a part of so many people's lives i mean you know coming into living rooms but that was like one aspect of it it's um i kind of liken it to um uh, brian wilson you know there's the beach boys and then you listen to the Pet Sounds album and you think, oh my God, like that's, that's my Beach Boys. <laughs> you know, other, you know, you listen to the other surf tunes and you're like, oh no, that's what these guys were. And I think like people like you, Louise, and other, and their fans are going to write the legacy of what he is and what he was, was a great singer and an awesome musician and telling, you know, the rest of the story, if you will, if I could, uh, you know, borrow a line from an American broadcaster of what he was really about. And I think that's, uh, that's what's important. What What's unfortunate though about this is that, and don't get me wrong, I know fans were praising him as it was happening and as when he was alive, but it's unfortunate that that praise didn't happen when he was alive and recognition of, hey, David, we need to get you, we need to find the Madison Square Garden 
concert. Um, you know, let's uh, let's get on a mission and you know get a record company to to find that. You know, maybe he did. Maybe he told the story. And getting you know even box sets of the other uh, the other albums out there, and you know, and reminding people that you know, hey, he was a great voice. He was a great singer for his time, and you know, he should be remembered at that. And here's here's a whole bunch of other things that you know you don't know um, about this guy. And I think it's really important to um, yeah to get that out. Uh, but yeah, his you know his voice is. For me, I mean, it's the voice that I remember and, uh, you know, whether it's a Partridge family song or whether he's singing a solo song, you know, whether Cherish pops into my head or uh, there was, um, I, I found on YouTube a piece that he did with his uh, his stepbrother, Sean, when they were appearing in Blood Brothers and it's like, oh my goodness, mm. there's that voice. Yeah. It's like, you know, this should be recognized and it should be um, enhanced. I am so fascinated about the fan experience. I love to hear, like, I just love to hear your stories, recording the the TV show, that stuff. It just, it blows me away. And I love to hear stories about that, about how people are just so passionate um, about uh, a person, you know, about a, a sport, about a team. It just, uh, it, they're so interesting to listen to because it's your true self that is coming out. Um, and I've uh, like, I interviewed a guy who stood in line for, I don't know, it was like a couple of weeks to see the star Wars Phantom Menace movie. It's one of the podcasts I have because, and it was a, it was a story. Like I found it was in a newspaper and I thought, Oh, this is cool. Here's a, here's a guy doing something cool. Let's go talk to him. <laughs> And I had to phone, I had to phone the Chinese restaurant that was next to the theater that he was in line to say, hey, is that kid standing out there? Because <laughs> I'd really like to talk to him. You know, so I, so since then, since the interview, and you know, since David's passing, you know, and when I spoke to Allison a few years ago, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is great. Like, it was so she was so knowledgeable. And you know, and at the time, there was the like the discussion about, uh, should he be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. And, you know, and I know in an interview, David Cassidy said himself, he would never be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I know, and, you know, throwing the Osmonds in there, you know, they would never be in it. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has their, they have their rules and whatever of what you could uh, get in there. But really, I think David Cassidy fans have something bigger than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that there is a major fan base that is, is there that I think you should all be proud of. Um, and I'm just glad to, to be a part of it here that you, you know, have asked me to, and given me an opportunity to speak about this. As I mentioned before, my fan base was more, you know, from that age of, uh, of 10, of watching the TV show and knowing a few songs and then, you know, following his uh, kind of career on, later on from the sidelines. But when I hear you speak, you know, about the songs and, and the music in the background and, you know, where his legacy should be, it's like, you know, yeah, right on. I applaud you. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Well, thank you so much for asking me. It has been a pleasure. Um, I hope I answered all your questions. I hope you have. I'm sorry they were so deep. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a, you know, something I think of later, I'll email you. Hey, say this instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye.
Coming up now, your chance to hear Joe's exclusive one-to-one interview with David from 1990. Teen idol David Cassidy was on a media tour promoting his new self-titled album when I interviewed him for a current affairs program. It was aired on DC 103.5 radio in Orangeville. The music director at the radio station approached me with a puzzled look on his face, I remember, asking if I would be interested in interviewing David Cassidy. Maybe he thought I was going to say no, but I said, of course, and explained how as kids growing up in the 70s, my sisters and I would religiously watch The Partridge Family. The station at the time was playing a cut from the new self-titled album, a song called Lying to Myself. Now, before the interview, I was told, do not ask him any questions about his time playing Keith Partridge. Instead, I was told to focus on the album, the upcoming tour as well, and that more or less eliminated everything I knew about David Cassidy. But I did ask, and he explained his reluctance to reminisce. Here's my six minutes with David Cassidy. I'm uh, excited to hear about your latest, uh, your latest record. I hope everything goes well. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you um, adding the record and playing it. Um, it's been going great. I, the uh, single's just screaming up the charts in America, and I understand here, too. So um, it's great to be, be welcomed back like that. I saw you on a BBC Variety show about six years ago when I was in England, and uh, you were singing your latest single at the time, which was, was doing well on the British pop charts. Uh, I want to ask you, why did you travel to England for your musical comeback? What is it about England? Because I know Donny Osmond went there, too. Well, I went there because uh, my writing partner at the time was British and lived there. His name was Alan Tarney. And I went there and recorded there, and that's where it was first released. And then it went to Europe. And the week my album went top 20 in England, um, before we came over here with it, um, my record company was bought up by another label, by a bigger record company, and they fired everyone. And I got into an ensuing two-year litigation with them. And um, ultimately, the record never came out in America. So I was rather disappointed, and uh, I went back to work in the theater and uh, assumed basically that I wasn't going to go and make records anymore. I just continued to write, and um, I started. I came back to L.A. after I finished in the West End in 87 and started writing, and I went on a radio show in L.A. and got three offers from three different labels after they heard the songs I had played, my demos, songs I had written, and um, I started making this record for Enigma. So basically, this is it. I mean, it's the first record I've released in North America for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And the latest single is called Lying to Myself. Yes. Now, does the music on your newest project have more of a dance-oriented sound, or is it more rock-oriented? Oh, I wouldn't say it's more dance-oriented. I would... Uh, um, I, hate to, I hate to put a label on it. Uh, but just yeah, it's a difficult it. thing to do. I mean, there's a track... Um, I don't know. I'm no good with labels. <laughs> I, I, it's just... For me, it's... Um, it's probably the most revealing record about myself. Um, the songs are the most, um, I think, uh, open uh, and I think more revealing lyrically about who I'm, I am, and I suppose musically as well. It's a pretty aggressive record in that respect. Tell me a bit about that. What do we hear about David Cassidy that we never knew before? Well, um, I'd have to get into lyric by lyric through the songs, but about... Uh, what the human condition is all about, and I think my own fragility, fear, um, strength. Um, a lot of, uh, there's a song called Boulevard of Broken Dreams, which is about kind of a semi-autobiographical about um, Hollywood and fame. And um, I, I think that 
there's a song called Message to the World, which is more or less about people who are incarcerated and um, about people who are no longer in our consciousness, like Terry Waite, Terry Anderson, and the hostages, etc. I'm not, it's, I'm not a terribly political guy, but I'm pretty moved by what's been going on um, with them, and certainly now with what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, it's certainly in my consciousness, and I think that it's important to just show as much and reveal as much about yourself as you possibly can. People get some insight as to who I am, and uh, there's a lot of up-tempo sort of rocking stuff, too, and Line of Myself is really uh, one of those, I think, tougher, more rock, pop records that I've ever made, and hopefully, um, I mean, the reaction thus far has been fantastic, and uh, it's just great to be back. Are you getting asked a lot about the character you played in that uh, early 70s television show? Well, um, I, I think initially people say, um, I know that you don't want to talk a lot about it, and uh, the truth is that I could talk all day about it, and I have talked a lot about it since I've done it. I'd rather talk about what I'm doing now. Um, I have no problem with it. I really embraced it. And there's a song called High Heel Sneakers on my new album where I use even a little a little sample of I Think I Love You. <laughs> so um, I have good feelings about it. I have very good feelings about all of it. I just want to move on and talk about what I'm doing now as opposed to what I did 15 years ago. Well, moving on, David, uh, what's up for you in 1991? Do you have uh, any tours planned? or? In fact, uh, yes, I'm going to do... I'm definitely going to come through America and uh, through Canada. Um, I hope to go actually around the world and tour with this album. You know, it's been um, a long time since I've been out on the road, and I'm really looking forward to doing that again. Uh, that's ultimately how you cut it or you don't. And um, the record's been so well-received, and both critically and I think now um, commercially by the uh, radio, and, and I, I just hope that I can go out and play a lot of the, the current stuff and then consequently be able to do a lot of the old stuff. I know if I went to see David Cassidy, I'd want to see all of it. And um, that's what I intend to do. Well, David, do you have a band together now, or do you plan on asking a lot of the musicians that worked on your album to tour with you? Um, yeah, I'm going to put musicians together. I mean, a lot of, I guess, the nucleus of the people that played on my record hopefully will go out with me. And um, a lot depends upon when I get back. I've been out on a promotional tour for six weeks, so I haven't done anything except um, the last couple of days in Toronto. I got I got a guitar up in my room and started playing again. You know, I've been out doing a city a day. So when you're traveling every day and you're doing interviews and talking and doing TV and radio. There's not a lot of time to do anything else. But um, that's what I intend to do. And hopefully after the new year, when the new album takes hold and people get a chance to hear it, that's what I'll be doing. I would meet him after that interview at a record release party I was invited to at a Toronto club called Lee's Palace. My sister Ivana and I attended the event and we couldn't believe the crowd of people. After 20 years, they swarmed around him in order to get a picture. Now keep in mind, he's 40 at this point, and he's been out of the limelight for some time, but still, he attracted a huge crowd, and we were part of that crowd. I brought my camera along to get photos of him with my sister, and she attempted to take photos of me with David Cassidy. The record company, though, had people with Polaroid cameras clicking photos and giving them to everyone instantly. We compared photos after and noticed David Cassidy looked the same in all of them. So here's a guy who had for years practiced posing in front of a camera and knew what to give the fans. The other thing we noticed was that except for the haircut, he essentially hadn't changed much in the 20 years since we saw him on TV. I've posted those photos from the Lee's Palace record release party on my website, joepavia.com. You can also check out other interviews on that site or download them through iTunes and SoundCloud. And you can rate the interviews on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. 
I'd like to thank Joe for his time today and sharing so many of his thoughts and memories. If you have enjoyed today's show or are a new listener, you can catch up with all episodes going back to August 2020 with your preferred podcast provider. So listen, review and subscribe for free so you will be among the first to hear when new episodes are released. So until we connect again, take care.